Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. It's no secret that Industry 4.0 technologies are disrupting the factory floor. But according to a recent Deloitte survey, only 10% of C-level executives have longer-range strategies for leveraging new technologies. Why? Because these technologies are disruptive. They require not only adoption, but also adaptation by industrial business leaders, which can be time-consuming, challenging, and initially expensive. However, our guest today has set out to make disruptive technologies more approachable for industry leaders. In this episode, I'm joined by Jason Ray, CEO and co-founder of Paperless Parts. Before founding the sales and quoting platform for job shops, Jason spoke to over 1,000 job shop owners to better understand the challenges they were facing. Together with his team, Jason created a cloud-based platform focused on making Industry 4.0 into a more seamless, approachable experience. Jason and I will discuss Industry 4.0 adoption concerns, and he'll share his insights and advice for industrial businesses to move into a new era of innovation. Hey, Jason, super fired up about our conversation today. You're in such an interesting part of the marketplace, and particularly as we start to think about the digital transformation of industrial and manufacturing sales, marketing, and supply chain management. Before we get into the meat of the conversation, though, give a bit of background. How did you come to found the company? What did you see? What problem were you trying to solve? My path to paperless parts started off with the United States Navy, and I was a supply and logistics officer on a minesweeper. And one of the big things that I noticed is the perception is that the United States has one of the most advanced industrial bases in the world. But what I found was a little bit to the contrary. And when I was forward deployed, it was actually really difficult to get seemingly simple components for the ship that I was set out to support. And so I really started to dig into manufacturing. I didn't have a manufacturing background. I didn't have a degree in engineering. It was more of a supply chain logistician. And I started to look at first ways that we could move manufacturing forward. So how do we bring 3D printers? How do we bring manufacturing assets out into the field and do it ourselves? And that took me down a journey of learning all about advanced manufacturing. It landed me in the Pentagon. For a period of time, I was running the Navy's advanced and additive manufacturing strategy building that out, working with the top minds in the Navy to figure out how do we implement this technology to solve a lot of our supply chain problems. And that got me thinking, really, this is an accessibility problem. It's not a capability problem. I, I was fortunate to be able to tour manufacturing facilities all around the country and just incredible capabilities. And I said, well, what if I go build a defense contractor? So I spent the year after I left active duty looking for job shops to buy in a traditional search fund model. And I said, if I can buy these job shops, I know how to manage the sales and marketing and communication aspect. I can be that accessibility that unlocks all of the capability. Gosh, I talked to over a thousand job shop owners in a year and we visited over a hundred shops in person. And I say, we, I recruited a board of advisors. And one of those folks happens to be my co-founder at Paperless Parts, Jay Jacobs. And I think what I realized is all job shops are suffering from a similar lack of modern technology. And so I stepped back and I sat down with Jay and Jay brought me this idea of, well, why don't we build a tool that unlocks all these capabilities and we streamline 
that front office process of quoting. Beautiful job of describing the problem to be solved. And you all are clearly solving a unique problem there. Talk a little bit about, Jason, how the journey over the last three years has gone. You're describing kind of an interesting market segment. So the vast majority of supply chains of large-scale companies are made up of small to medium companies that are, in essence, their manufacturers. In many cases, these are small companies. They're privately owned. I would probably suggest that most of these are folks that either studied engineering or came up through manufacturing ranks. They likely didn't study marketing. They likely perhaps never have actually directly been involved in sales. Was there a challenge culturally to get across the ideas that you were pitching to them? It is tooth and nail every single day to help manufacturers understand the value. And I think there are a lot of companies like yours that are helping move the market. The biggest challenge we faced in early 2017 was the cloud. People didn't trust the cloud. And I want to thank all of the folks at Microsoft for all of their tens of millions of dollars worth of marketing and everything they put out to try to educate the world on how a cloud can be secure because we don't hear that ever. And when I look at how long it takes manufacturing to change from their perception on things, I mean, look at model-based definition files. Those files have been around since 2003 and we're still not using them. It's just superior file format to a PDF drawing, but we don't use it. So for manufacturing to change their perception of the cloud, going from something that we don't trust, we don't want to use it if it's in the cloud, to we only want to use it if it's in the cloud and it's secure and an understanding of GovCloud and how we can manage ITAR part. The level of questions that our potential customers are asking has gone up substantially and it makes our job a lot easier. But I think you highlighted something that's really, really interesting, which is customer concentration is a huge challenge. A lot of the shop owners that I spoke to, they prided themselves on having those really strong customer relationships with a couple of customers. And that's fantastic, but you don't want to neglect the expansion and diversification of customers. And I think that becomes really challenging for someone, like you said, is not versed in marketing and sales. They're focused on the bottom line, keeping their machines running, keeping their employees paid, all the like blocking and tackling of running a small business. Yeah, I love that story, Jason. It's interesting at, at thomasnet.com. We segued to becoming a cloud-based platform many years ago. It took a while for our customers to really understand what we had done. They were used to an old traditional publishing cycle. And that's the way they thought about their marketing. That's the way they thought about the, the use case. And in the spirit of software eating the world, you know, we started to run it much more like a software company. And we wiped the slate clean and really modeled what is a buyer behavior look like today? What does the supplier experience look like? Because it's a two-sided marketplace. And really inspiring to hear you do that. Because I think for particularly for entrepreneurs, but I think for even older companies like ours, you've got to stop and look at that true north once in a while of identifying, look, this is about the user who's going to use this and understanding the features that are most important to them. And Jason, it, it brings me to my next question. A lot of what you and I are touching on without actually using the terminology, you could point to culture change. And I'm a believer that technological change precedes cultural change. Talk a little bit about some of those experiences, because you know some of these smaller companies you mentioned before, well, I got a process, 
I don't want you to come in and tell me I got to change my process here. But is the cultural retraining, reframing, has that been a, a, a challenge? And what trends are you seeing there? Yeah, definitely has been a challenge. And I think it goes back to a little bit of what the question you asked before, which is what are our job shops experiencing in terms of benefits? One of the key benefits that they're seeing is the intentionality behind actually putting a lens on their front office and their quoting process. It's not something that a job shop would sit down and do a Kaizen event once every six months to see if they're doing it properly. Quotes go in, quotes go out. It's a sunk cost. We've got these two estimators that have 30 years of experience. They don't want to deal with anybody, but they're sitting there and they can look at a part and they can tell you exactly what the price is. And sometimes we win, sometimes we lose, but we don't really do job costing. So we really only know if we have cash in the bank. And it's just this big cultural shift to say, no, we're going to put a lens on this. I have a lot of respect for the folks in this industry because I see the main thing that's getting us over the hurdle with the older estimators. And I'm talking about most estimators are in their 50s, even 60s. We have a company where we just had two 90-year-olds that were doing all the estimating and have now passed it on to the grandchildren. I, I actually love hearing stories like that, but it is extraordinary, right? It is unbelievable. They were doing it on pen and paper. I mean, I had to do the demo over the phone, not even seeing what we were doing. And it's amazing. And they've been so successful with the tool. But I think the biggest thing that I, I really respect about this industry is the desire for longevity and understanding that I'm 55 years old when I'm not here in five years because I'm going to retire. This business is going to suffer. And folks who are willing to roll up their sleeves and work through the change. I have such a high level of respect for those folks because they're taking on a project that does not directly benefit them immediately. I love it. Oh, it's exponentially different. But I think this fear comes from how software has been served to job shops previously. So when job shops went and got an ERP system, there was a two-month onboarding process and they walked away. And that was probably the nature of trying to scale a business and that's challenging, but they think every time they need help, they have to pay another 1500 bucks to get an application engineer out or they have to pay. And here, it's all about our mission. You know, the mission is to support job shop manufacturers, help them be more successful. We don't do that by charging you for support. My goal is that you should be able to talk to us through the platform, which our customers can today. And frankly, we have some that will come in and say, good morning. I love that. I hey, love good that. morning. Yeah. Like it's our support channel, but they're saying good morning because they know we're here. And that changes the paradigm. I think a lot of people can go build really incredible software. And it's like solving any problem. You can go solve the problem in a lab or in a, in a closet somewhere. But then it's about getting people to actually adopt that solution. That's where the real innovation happens. You can write software all day and it can be the most beautiful code. It can be the most beautiful user interface. But if no one's willing to use it or you can't train people to effectively use it, my goodness, it's worthless. Well, and I think you're also touching, Jason, a, a little bit on the shift from on-premise to cloud. You noted the revolution of cloud earlier in the conversation. And I think for particularly executives of a certain level, job shop owners of a certain age, I should say, they may have been burned by on-premise software because every time you called up to do something, oh, we're going to have to charge you $25,000 to do that. And that was the old software model, if you remember, whether it was your financial system or 
cloud-based is a very different world. And so I think part of what you're helping to usher in is that understanding of what does that really mean and less about the geekiness of the technology and more about the functionality as a user of the technology and the benefits that it gives you. There's going to be thousands of small job shop companies and, and leaders that would listen to this. What advice would you give them about adopting a new technology like this? When we first started the business, we started solving problems for job shops in the zero to five to eight million in revenue range. And now our customers range from zero to a billion dollars in revenue. And I think I've started to learn what really separates the growth curve and where the plateau happens. I've seen the evidence of this in COVID. Larger shops are willing to make investments in process improvements during downturns to ensure that they're in a position to capitalize on the inevitable upswing. And so the best advice that I think I can give to a shop owner is don't wait for it to be like a must have. Don't wait for there to be an ITAR breach for you to go start storing your files on a secure cloud or to do ITAR training. There is never going to be a good time to go and implement a change in your business. It's either going to be you guys are really slow and the cash flow is not there and this is an expensive solution or we're really, really busy and I can't pull an estimator off of this for an hour because, gosh, he's not going to be able to keep up with all of his quotes. We've seen hundreds of companies do this successfully, so it can be done. The feedback I have is just don't wait for the problem to be something that's the catalyst for you going out and solving it. So well said. People forget that digital transformation ultimately enables business model transformation. Hey, I got two more questions, Jason. And again, I want to thank you for spending some time with us. And you're talking about a lot of innovation and you're running the company in an innovative way. Your idea was innovative and you're applying innovation to the manufacturing marketplace. How do you encourage and manage innovation at Paperless Parts? I'm a big fan of listening to our customers. And it becomes increasingly more difficult as there are more of them to take every single piece of feedback and ingest that and make sure that we're applying that to the platform. But it is something we are very, very intentional about. All these stakeholders come together and we meet and we discuss the most important things that we can possibly do to have an impact on the end user. That's the thing that I think is really lost on a lot of companies. We count clicks. I'm a click counter. I like it because every click is a little bit of friction and there are unnecessary clicks in our platform today. So I would never be a hypocrite and say it's perfect because it's far from it. But I try to think about what the end user is going to be doing. And we put mocks and designs in front of the end users. We get their feedback. We have a customer advisory committee. We try to drive that continuous feedback and innovation. And it's amazing because the early adopters of our platform, this is a whole new world for them, but they've embraced it in such a cool way. I love that. And I think one of our, our earlier podcast guests from a company called Cigna Thermal was talking about shifting philosophically as a manufacturing company from a customer satisfaction to the customer experience. And he used the experience, you know, he's a manufacturer, not a software developer, but he said, you know, once we started to focus on the customer experience, we realized that even customers that would fill out in the forms that they were satisfied, there was real friction. And it's kind of your point on the clicks. You know, we were forcing them to go through 
a bunch of steps. And when we looked at it through the eyes of the customer experience, we realized, oh, and, and they changed a lot of things. They added functionality and features at the point of contact with a customer that were less sales oriented and more what you and I might consider customer success oriented. But I think it's really powerful. Last question for you. And we ask this of all of our podcast guests. If you could put one sentence on a billboard that best expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? Wow. That is a great question. My personal philosophy. We have a saying at Paperless Parts that we came up with together, so I can't take full credit for it. But we say here, intentionality in everything we do, grit in the pursuit of excellence, curiosity with a bias towards action to deliver simple solution. That embodies the things that are really important to us as a company. I think being intentional in how a product is designed, being intentional in the way you communicate the value to the customer, being gritty because God knows you got to be gritty in this industry or you're not going to survive. It's the makeup of our team. It's the culture that people step into that's worked really well for us. So that's maybe a long sentence and it might not be the most beautiful thing, but that's uh, <laughs> it just it's who we are. To learn more about Jason Ray, Paperless Parts, and how to incorporate new Industry 4.0 technologies into your industrial business, check out the links provided in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced by Lindsay Gilbert and Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. Your feedback helps us connect with and inform more professionals across the industry. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com slash updates.